Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your hosts, Nat Strong and Allie. Welcome back, guys, to episode 98. Yeah, the, the second. second episode of the fourth season of the 69th year in the 420th Mothman. <laughs> We're so glad that you have joined us today for this monumental episode. This episode, I think, is going to ruffle some major feathers. Oh, no. Major feathers. And because of that, I wanted to say, if you're tuning into this, try to keep an open mind. If you're getting triggered and you're getting upset and there's some sort of emotional response that's welling up inside of you, you know, just enjoy that that feeling and don't express it you don't need to express it just feel it like let it boil inside of you and then let that simmering boil sort of come down to just a warm water and then eventually it'll be back to just lake placid water of your soul wow and the reason I say that is because uh just try it and (laughs) (laughs) yeah Alyssa, do you have any idea what I'm going to talk about today? No, I'm like cringing in the corner. You guys obviously can't see me, but I'm like every cell in my body is on fight or flight right now because you just set it up to be like, am I going to be triggered? Like, what is this? I had a hard time not becoming triggered when I was doing this. So I'm going to say that when I was doing some of the interviews for this episode and doing some of the raw research and materials, I myself was very triggered because I had a lot of opinions and preconceptions about this topic, which we have talked about extensively on this podcast. We We have. Oh, okay. Well, now, okay, wait. Look, can I guess? Yes. Is it alien related? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say in the traditional sense, no. But if you broaden your perspective, perhaps yes. All right. That's fair. I mean, if you broaden your perspective, anything is we everything. We could be aliens right? to somebody. Yeah. Right? Everything is alien. Allie, do you know what a demon is? I would say when I think of a demon, I think of all of the bad things in the world personified. (laughs) Death, destruction, sadness, all of that shit is a demon. It's like a ghost, but he's just super bad. A demon, as defined by the Oxford Dictionary, is an evil spirit or devil especially one thought to possess a person or act as a tormentor in hell. Demons are supernatural entities generally associated with evil and fear. It is believed that a demon can possess living creatures, rendering their host incapable of controlling their own body, which often leaves the host severely injured or dead. Anecdotes revolving around demons typically include terrifying outcomes for any who encounter such dark forces. Famous demonic possessions run the gamut 
Okay, I'm thinking of one off the top of my head. You did an episode on Annalise Mikkel. Oh my god, you're giving me scary eyes right now. You're doing that thing. I don't <laughs> Where know. my eyes get really big and shiny. Well, it's just weird because I was just about to talk about Annalise and then like you just like brought her up and we're talking about demons. I'm scared, you guys. You this guys, topic is scary to me. I'm trying to be professional, but it's scary. Picture Natalia sitting on a couch with her legs crossed professionally <laughs> with her laptop on a table in front of her as she's like casually scrolling through. Now picture me on two hours hours of sleep curled up on the ground on a rug in the fetal position in the corner of this place where we are recording that's what's happening right now so I basically I look like Annabelle who is another story of possession yes I'm like an Annabelle doll and I'm staring at Natalia making her uncomfortable yes we're all uncomfortable together guys demonic possession instances include Annalise Michel detailed in episode six Annalise Michel was a German Catholic woman who died at only 23 years old after 67 exorcisms were performed on her during a nine-month period. Jesus. Annalise displayed all the hallmarks of demonic possession. Abnormal strength, speaking in languages she had no prior knowledge of, an aversion to holy objects, even eating live insects and uncontrollable vomiting. While Annalise was possessed, she lost control of her body and voice, and often claimed to be evil spirits from the ether. The following is a recording of Annalise's normal voice. So that's Annalise speaking in her native tongue in German. And then here's Annalise as when she claims that she's possessed by Adolf Hitler. I remember this being scary as fuck. Here's Annalise channeling Kane. Here's Annalise channeling Lucifer. A doctor diagnosed Annalise with epilepsy, but her family, as well as Annalise herself, always believed she was possessed by a demon. 
Can you see me? Can you find me? I'm behind you. I am right behind you. Don't be scared. I just want to play a game with you. Annalise died at the end of a grueling nine months of repeated exorcisms. At her death, she weighed only 66 pounds and had broken knees from repeated kneeling to pray. Her official cause of death was starvation. Authorities charged Mikkel's parents and the priest who exorcised her with negligent homicide. The 2005 film, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, was based on the true story of Annalise Michel. But Annalise isn't the only documented case of demonic possession. In fact, she's far from it. Dr. Richard Gallagher is a board-certified psychiatrist who graduated from Yale. He is, at this present moment, on the list of teaching faculty at Columbia University and New York Medical College. Dr. Gallagher is a self-claimed man of science. He's also the world's leading consultant on demonic possession for the Catholic Church. What? If you believe that a doctor and demonic possession consultant seem like unlikely bedfellows, you are exactly right. Ironically, it was the skepticism Dr. Gallagher possessed that made him an ideal candidate for exorcisms. Dr. Gallagher specialized in personality disorders and psychopharmacology Many of the hallmarks of someone suffering from severe psychosis, change in personality, erratic speech, seizing, visual and auditory hallucinations, uncontrollable bodily function, restlessness, and extreme irritability, were also the hallmarks of demonic possession. Which is why, when an unannounced priest appeared on Dr. Gallagher's doorstep asking for his psychiatric consultation regarding a woman who believed she was being attacked by evil spirits, Dr. Gallagher was understandably surprised. However, in the interest of science, helping a patient and perhaps a familiar morbid curiosity, Dr. Gallagher agreed to observe the patient, although he had his obvious doubts. The priest reportedly insisted, if we didn't think you were skeptical, we wouldn't have wanted to use you. When Dr. Gallagher arrived at the patient's home, he found a Hispanic housewife and mother laying sick in her bed, covered in bruises. Dr. Gallagher details this visit in his book, Demonic Foes, Experiences of a Psychiatrist in a World of Exorcism. Quote, she and her husband both swore that she would be lying in bed, and all of a sudden, she would have the feeling of being assaulted by evil spirits. Bruises would appear on her body, so I needed to do a medical workup. I needed to make sure she didn't have some clotting difficulty or something like that. I needed to assess her psychiatrically. All of her medical tests were negative, 
Her blood work was all normal. She didn't appear to have any other medical or psychiatric illness. She just did not appear to be psychiatrically troubled at all. She had a family. She was a devout Catholic who was deeply invested in charitable work. However, Dr. Gallagher witnessed the woman speak foreign languages she had no prior knowledge of. The woman had superhuman strength, so much so that she lashed out at five people who were restraining her for hours on end until the five adult men restraining her were exhausted, but she was not. She also had psychic abilities and said things out loud about the strangers in the room that were impossible for her to know. She appeared to know the darkest, deepest secrets of all of the people in the room she had never met before. No, fuck that. I'm sorry. If someone screaming and flailing, covered in bruises, walked in here right now and was like, I know that you like I can't even think I can't even think of a deep dark secret because it's probably I have so repressed it's so repressed that I don't even know what it is and then if they come in and say that and it like recovers a memory for me that I don't want to (laughs) remember I'm I don't know what I'm gonna do so Dr. Gallagher explains quote in the Catholic faith in the Christian faith in general we believe they're fallen angels (laughs) I'm a doctor I try to help suffering people, even if they have a controversial diagnosis. Faith is supposed to be based on some evidence. The evidence is a little bit different than what modern conception of science is. Allie, what do you think about that? A man who is obviously very well educated. He's a man of science. He's gone, you know, he's Ivy League educated. He's on the faculty list. He's a teacher at medical schools that are very high up there. Picture this, a priest shows up on his doorstep in full clerical garb, like the little white fucking thing on his neck. Right. And is like, there's a woman possessed and we need you. It sounds like a Hollywood movie, right? Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, it's it can go one of two ways. I either think that I'm being punked and that this is someone who's about to murder me, <laughs> or I think, you know what, as a learned man of science, I want to see that shit. I think it's like a morbid curiosity. Mm. I think no matter what field you're in, if somebody comes up and says some like fantastic shit to you, like, okay, for instance, if you're just sitting at home and someone comes up to you like in the famous Harry Potter film and is like, you're a wizard, Alyssa. Do you want to come to Hogwarts with me? In your mind, you're like, this is 100 percent a crackhead. But there's (laughs) there's just that small piece that you might be a wizard. Right. And you might be going to Hogwarts. So you're going to like, you know, ask some questions at least. You're not just going to slam the door in their face. Right. It's main character syndrome. It's me being like, I know that Hogwarts is a fictional (laughs) place of learning, but I'm so fucking special that maybe this is real. The moment they open the door and they're like, you're ready to come to Hogwarts. You're like, I've already packed my bags. I've been waiting for this moment. Right. Exactly. Yes. Do you know, by the way, Alyssa, do you have any idea of what Christianity's stance is on demons and demonic possession? I actually don't know. I was raised Lutheran and I think we've talked about this in season one. Lutheranism is very different from other denominations. I don't really go to church anymore. I definitely believe in God, but I don't know that I would still call myself a Lutheran, but the nickname for Lutherans is quote unquote the frozen chosen. There is nothing ornamental about it. You walk into a room, the room is brown, there's a cross at the front. Why brown? Everything is everything's neutral. Everything is neutral. They paint it brown. It's like wood. It's like this is how I recall Lutheranism. 
you're not allowed to have statues. You're not allowed to have murals, like stained glass windows, because all of those things are considered like idols. So it's like the opposite of a Catholic church. Totally. And that's why I think I'm so drawn to Catholicism, despite not being Catholic, is because I wasn't raised with it. So for me, it's very interesting to see like the ritual. It's magical. Totally. Yeah. There's like candles burning and like you make a wish for someone and light a candle and there's like holy water, which is like cool. Yeah. 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 I, I have the same exact reaction to it as well. And then also there's like statues of Jesus dead and I never had seen a dead body. And then you're now showing me like a life size statue of a dead body. Right. It's like can't look away. Very interesting. And to respond to your question about do I know what Christianity thinks about demons? I actually don't remember ever being taught about demons. I only remember being taught about the devil. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I was ever taught that he had any like minions that could like come and do his bidding. Interesting. Yeah. You know, for me, I was raised Christian. My mother's father was converted from Islam and Pakistan to Christianity by Seventh-day Adventist missionaries. And they're kind of like the Jesuits. They go all over the world and like build schools and like hospitals and whatever and like teach you Christianity. So he was converted by these missionaries and then that became like his whole life obviously and he was doing a lot better than anyone else in the village and so he was able to raise his family based off of his work that he was doing with the Christian church so obviously my point in saying that is that this was like very central to my parents belief or my mother's specifically belief system as a child like she was raised like that Mm -hmm. a lot of that trickled over to me as well just like some of the morality and things like that the most that I remember as a child was being taught that Satan is super real and that temptation and sin are super real and that demons are real. They can like actually come into your body. And if you're not careful, oh, really, you were taught that. Yes. Oh. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful, if you're not like a good God fearing child or whatever, and you are tempted by whatever demon shapeshifter there is because they'll always make it seem like really good. It'll be like, oh, how about you steal some of this candy so that you can eat it right now and like no one will know because it's old Halloween candy and they're <laughs> not going to care and like nobody knows this is Your here. Your mom doesn't you. even know it's still here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're like, if you like listen to those demons, then you go to hell. Basically. No, but it wasn't like if you listen to those demons, you're inviting them to possess you. Is that what you're saying? You know, I think everything. I think yeah. it was just like they would tell me whatever I needed to hear to behave. Right. No, I was definitely <laughs> taught, like, which I don't agree with. I was taught, like, if you lose your virginity before you're married, you're going to hell, <laughs> like stuff like that. But I don't recall ever being taught about possession or demons. It was weird because it was like they didn't want to talk about it because it was so haunted. But at the same time, they like needed to tell you about it. So you didn't ever get like clear rules or like clear, like definitive answers to questions. For example, Pokemon. Everyone was playing Pokemon cards, but I wasn't supposed to play with Pokemon because they were, quote, pocket devils. Really? Yeah. I mean, I did anyways. Yeah. I played with Pokemon. Yeah. Yeah. We we did anyways. But the translation was like a pocket devil and that it was like an idol or something like that. So we weren't supposed to play with it because it was like the devil's things and when you would press and you would ask questions like why is it the devil they would just be like no devil devil my grandmother I love her my nani I don't know if it's that she just refused to speak English and elaborate (laughs) on the subject and so she was like hiding behind this veil of like you know being an immigrant and like pretending language barrier yeah exactly I just don't know why she chose to never say anything other than just devil devil 
but it was also about certain types of music my dad is like listened to really what i would say is like heavy metal like metallica and like rob zombie and uh, romstein things like that and i'm rob zombie is like pretty satanic if you listen to it it's mm-hmm. like i think he even has like a, a fucking upside down cross on his head like Probably. in his pictures yeah so then my mom would too would just be like devil that's devil music and we'd be like why is it devil music though and just de- no it's devil music religion is so interesting in that way right like because there's the overarching christianity but then there's so many different little sects and beliefs right. underneath it that it's always so interesting to hear how people were raised yeah it's not so black and white yeah no i was definitely allowed to eat gushers and like read harry potter <laughs> and watch like pepper Ann on yeah. you know saturday morning cartoons but yeah you were definitely not supposed to have sex or drink or do drugs right. yeah we still did all of those things like i still played with a uh, pokemon like i still listen to the devil music i still read harry potter but it wasn't without the comment that it was devil that things. you were going to hell yes yeah okay got it super healthy <laughs> so according to the religious beliefs widely held by christianity demons are responsible for sin and temptation so much so that in 1409 an anonymous publication titled the lantern of light was distributed which detailed that seven demons were responsible for the seven deadly sins in the tract Lucifer was responsible for the sin of pride. Beelzebub was responsible for the sin of gluttony. Satan was responsible for the sin of wrath. Leviathan was responsible for envy. Mammon was responsible for greed. Belphegor was responsible for sloth. And Osmodius was responsible for lust. It's not known exactly who wrote this publication, but most attribute the tract to a lollard named John Wycliffe. I know. Are you thinking of Wycliffe Jean? Yes. Yeah, I could I couldn't not think of Wycliffe Jean and I just wasn't going to say anything about it cuz I was like no one else is getting on that thought track. But No, I'm thinking about it. Okay. And I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I wonder if he was like it's I'm going to name myself. Yeah, after this guy that discovered the demons or named the demons. So a tract is like a pamphlet and the Lollards, I looked into this. The Lollards were basically people who like went around handing pamphlets door to door almost in the same way that like the the Mormons would. Right. Right. Like trying to basically say that what you've been taught in the Roman Catholic Church isn't necessarily true, which I feel like is majority of Christians. Right. Right. I I just had to look up Wyclef John really quickly because I can't remember what his this guy is is John Wyclef. But you're thinking of Wyclef Jean. Wyclef Jean. Oh, I always thought it was Wyclef John. It is? Oh, I don't know. No, no, what I'm, is it? I'm totally wrong, probably. But yeah, so he's a Haitian rapper, singer, songwriter, and actor. If you guys want to look up his What's music. What's his famous song? Sweetest Girl, I think. Come on, guys. We're going to figure this out. Here, here's five <laughs> seconds of a copywritten song so that we don't get copywritten. Oh, that. Yes. What's the chorus, though? Right for the bill. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, so so you're telling me this guy took a bunch of pamphlets about the devil. Yeah, so I'm going to tell you the story that just demonstrates how fucking serious Christians were about religion. So just buckle the fuck up here because there's about two paragraphs just demonstrating how different things used to be. Okay, I'm tying my robe tightly. I'm buckled the fuck up. That Lollard tract was actually a product of a Christian movement called the Lollard Movement. Basically, the Lollards believed that the Roman Catholics were getting too specific with their practices and losing the, quote, real presence of the Holy Spirit. 
In Roman Catholicism, the belief of transubstantiation takes place during communion. Is that where it's like you're transferring uh, the blood of Christ into your colon? <laughs> I mean, basically, but also super specific. Transubstantiation is the belief that when the wine and bread are blessed during communion, the bread and the wine actually become the whole body of Christ and the whole blood of Christ. But the Lollards believed that this was simply not true and was turning the bread and wine into an idol, ah. therefore becoming a form of idol worship. So you can see how they were in a catch-22. Yeah. The Lollards believed that the body of Christ and the blood of Christ was in spirit alongside the bread and wine, but not actually becoming the bread and the wine. And it seems like a pretty trivial thing to argue about. Like, why don't they just both agree to disagree and drink the wine and eat the bread and believe in God and Jesus together, right? Right, yeah. Wrong. Wyclef's teachings were declared heresy at the Blackfriars Council of 1382. And in 1401, William Sautry, a Christian priest, was reportedly burned by other Christians in 1401 for his belief that, quote, bread remains in the same nature as before after consecration by a priest. Later, in the early 15th century, another Christian priest named Richard Weich was accused of false doctrine. When asked by the Christian prosecutors if the bread was still bread or if it was the body of Christ after consecration, Sautry answered, quote, I believe that the bread is the real body of Christ in the form of bread. For this smart-ass remark, Sautry was excommunicated and imprisoned. He eventually recanted this claim while imprisoned, probably under torture. So it seems like pretty serious stuff about stuff that really doesn't matter, in my opinion. They're both eating bread and drinking wine and saying God exists. But it's so important where the intention is coming from. Like if someone is not murdering because they think they're going to go to hell and another person is not murdering because they believe it's wrong, then they're both not murdering. So who cares? That's my thought anyways. It's not a very practical application of religion when we compare it to the religious practices of the Roman Empire many years before Christianity. So my point of telling you that story is like to show you how serious and and how specific a lot of the Christian teachings were about faith and were about dogma. Like they're literally getting in arguments and killing each other, which is a, a sin Yeah, over whether or not Jesus is actually physically the bread or Jesus is is represented by the bread. Yeah, it's also counterproductive because if the point of being a religious teacher is to spread your religion far and wide, then why would you want to kill people that already believe in your religion? I mean, that's the Roman Empire. That's the way that they thought, right? Like they, they had a more practical use of their religion, like which was the sense of controlling people, mm -hmm. right? Where I feel like the Christians kind of got caught up in this idea of faith and dogma. And it's like was like literally a witch hunt. Are you being a good person because you have faith in God? Or are you just being a good person because you you're are? a good person? Yeah. yeah. We're going to kill you if you don't answer right. We're going to kill all the good people <laughs> that aren't being good people because they think they'll go to hell if they're not being good people. Yeah. Yeah. 
Back in the heyday of the Roman Empire, the Romans were big fans of polytheism, and they had tons of gods and goddesses that they worshipped. When they conquered, they adopted the newly conquered deities and cults of their conquered parties into their pantheon. This makes sense in the context of how the Romans viewed religion. Roman religion was based on the principle of do ut des, which translates to, I give that you might give. It was practical and useful, an exchange of services for sacrifice. Roman religion depended deeply on knowledge of ritual, the correct prayers, and tried and true sacrifices. It's not based on faith or dogma. That is in contrast to modern Christianity, where you must have faith in the unseen to be in God's good graces. If a Roman deity appeared to be less than beneficial, say there was famine, or they weren't successful at war, the Romans might switch to serving another deity. They weren't tied to this idea of how things should be tied into faith. Which brings me to the idea of evoking a demon, summoning a demon. Have you ever heard of that term, evoking a demon? Well, evoking is the same as summoning, isn't it? You're, you're calling a demon into your life? Basically. The idea of evocation actually comes from this Latin word called evocatio which was a method employed by Rome during times of great stress, under the threat of war, during a siege, or as a result of surrender. And do you know what evocatio was? I do not know. It consisted of a ritual by a Roman general who would attempt to deprive the enemy of its divine protection from their deity. In that time, the polytheistic religions surrounding Rome and the ones that they conquered believed that there was a certain deity that protected the city. And it could be interchangeable. If your deity wasn't doing a good job, you'd be like, all right, next. Right. So what would happen during this ritual of evocatio is this Roman general would perform a ritual where they call the other side's deity into the Roman pantheon. And they often tempt these deities with like a luxurious, better temple and better cult. Oh, I like that, actually. Yeah. Interesting concept. Yes. They're like basically hiring this other deity. They're like, hey, we see what you're doing for them and it's really working. What if you come over here and we'll give you more money to do it for us? Oh, that's oh, I like that. That's like a like a sorcerer's spell to like even be able to commune with that deity. And then, yeah, I like that. That's very like, um, I don't know. That's very like woo woo to me in the best way. It's pretty badass. Yeah. So the clearest recorded case of evocation in history is of Juno Regina from the Etruscan city of Vey and 396 BCE. Juno Regina had a new cult established in Rome on the Aventine Hill in Rome, but we're not sure how much longer after they, the Etruscan city, fell that the Romans continued to go worship their deity, that they had moved there. So from that specific instance, we sort of see the evocatio ritual as almost like a psychological warfare. Yeah, totally. Right? Like the Romans are going to these people who are winning the war and they're like, hey, 
we just called your deity over to this really nice hill right here and look at all these fucking people over there worshiping right now and your deity's over there and having a great time. I feel like that's the same as saying like, I fucked your bitch. Yeah, right? totally. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they're just like basically kind of thrown off by that, you it, know? It's totally psychological warfare because, okay, if you have two groups of people and one group of people believes in order to go to heaven, you need to be killed by a valiant warrior. Mm-hmm. And then your side decides, you know what? We're just gonna like release a fucking plague of hornets yeah and then you die by hornets you don't get to go to to your heaven right Right. like your valhalla right and whether or not it's even true or you believed it was true wouldn't matter matter. because it's like uh, adding enough chaos in where you're even you just thinking like are they do they really think that we think that this is real is like distracting you enough right or you're so frightened that you're like okay fuck it i'm gonna join the other side because now they have my god and i don't want to fucking die by hornets and get swallowed whole by a black hole in the ground exactly so that's where that term of evoking a demon comes from and and what if the actual term demon? Do you know where the actual term demon comes from? I do not. The term demon is the term that's derived from the Greek word diamon, D-A-I-M-O-N, which means, quote, a lesser god, guiding spirit, or city's deity. And in Latin, the term translates to a spirit. So a daemon is an idea that has many meanings to many different people. In fact, in Plato's Myth of Air, the story goes that before we humans were born, our soul chose a purpose for us to fulfill on Earth. But we forget this choice because right before birth, we're exposed to Lethe, the forgetful river. We drink from the forgetful river's water, which begins our human life as being ignorant of the fate that our soul chose for us. However, on Earth, we have a daemon, Think of it as sort of a fairy godparent or a spiritual companion. Like a, a Jiminy guardian, Cricket on yes, your shoulder. a Jiminy Cricket or a guardian angel. And this spiritual companion's job is to ensure that we fulfill the fate that our soul chose for us before we were born. In that sense, a daemon is like a spirit who helps us fulfill our fate. Heraclitus, prior to Plato, stated that, quote, a man's daemon is his fate, which in turn suggests that there is a spirit attached to all of us which decides our fate. Robert Greene, the author of a book called Mastery, notes that many historical figures were driven to follow their soul's purpose by means of a demon. Robert writes, For Napoleon Bonaparte, it was his star that he always felt in ascendance when he made the right move. For Socrates, it was his daemon, a voice that he heard, which inevitably spoke to him in the negative, telling him what to avoid. For Goethe, he also called it a daemon, a kind of spirit that dwelled within him and compelled him to fulfill his destiny. In more modern times, Albert Einstein talked of a kind of inner voice that shaped the direction of his speculations. All of these are variations on what Leonardo da Vinci experienced with his own sense of fate. This daemon, our guiding spirit, is most easily heard and followed when we are children. But as we age and we acquire more responsibility in adulthood, we lose touch with this daemon. Jose Ortega says that, quote, The voice which calls to him that authentic being is what we call vocation. 
But the majority of men devote themselves to silencing that voice of the vocation and refusing to hear it. They manage to make a noise within themselves to distract their own attention in order to not hear it. And they defraud themselves by substituting for their genuine selves a false course of life. And so then, this explains why so many people are depressed and unhappy as adults. Because we silence this daemon, the voice of vocation. Because we must sacrifice short-term comfort like status, wealth, or perhaps comfort of a home to follow a more uncertain path. But when we repress our daemon, our inner calling, our inner child, our vocation, we become an empty shell of a person that could have been something else. The Soul's Code in Search of Character and Calling by James Hillman says, present in body and absent in spirit, he lies back on the couch, shamed by his own daemon for the potentials in his soul that will never be subdued. He feels himself inwardly subversive, imagining in his passivity extremes of aggression and desire that must be suppressed. The solution is more work, more money, more drink, more weight, more things. So evoking a demon can be considered calling out the spiritual guide who helps us all achieve our chosen fate, which already lived within us. So why is it that we think of evoking a demon as being evil? Most likely, it's from the negative PR that Christianity has. The Christians were monotheistic religion, and the Romans were polytheistic, so naturally the Christians were at arms with the Romans and their beliefs. Over the course of history, the trickle-down effect has left us with an evil version of demons. But of course, there actually are evil demons. Yeah, so I was going to say, it's, so it sounds like the original meaning of a demon was positive. It was like, hey, we're all born with these little inner voices mm -hmm. that are actual like sentient beings. Mm -hmm. And in order for us to be fulfilled as human beings, we have to find a way to listen to that demon. Mm -hmm. But then what you're telling me that when Christians came around they were saying well no that's not right because there's only one voice we should listen to and that's god mm -hmm. so demons are actually like something that's meant to have you be led astray right yeah that's that is what i'm saying and i mean even before the roman empire existed like there was magic already happening and summoning demons existed before the roman empire so this is something that has happened for a really long time but christianity has such a stronghold in the west and like the judeo-christian values have such a stronghold in modern times a lot of our laws and a lot of our morals and beliefs are shaped by that culture and Christianity was really battling when it was in its infancy, the Romans. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to make everything that the Romans are doing seem evil. And one of those things, as we talked about with the avocatio ritual, was just like listening to whatever demon or whatever deity or whatever spirit it is that's benefiting you the most. Right. Where in contrast, the Christians were like fighting over whether or not the bread is actually bread or it's actually God. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know. It's, and it doesn't even matter. Right. Yeah. So I had a lot of, you know, the same questions that I think a lot of people who are listening to this right now have is like, well, what about, you know, people who get possessed by demons and their head spins around backwards right. and they do the spider that crawl? That doesn't and seem... Maybe, I mean, maybe that <laughs> is their demon telling them this is you at your most fulfilled. Like, you need to fucking break your knees and throw up on the roof. Right. And that's... 
your destiny. Yeah. So I was confused too. But luckily, thank God, I was able to actually speak with someone who practices what we might have previously referred to on this podcast as dark magic before we learned that was an offensive term. No, black magic is offensive, not dark magic. Don't say that then. Take it back. I take it back. So I was able to speak with a witch who practices lots of magic, and some of that is summoning demons. And it turns out, according to most witches who practice this type of magic, that there actually is no good and evil magic. There's just magic. Oh, and interesting. I kind of equate it for myself to understand to the same way that math isn't evil. Like, it's just a tool. You can use math for evil things, but on its own, math is just a tool. Today, we are going to hear from a person who actually summons demons. Chawan Ku is an occultist and a witch who works with several energies. Some of those energies are demons. You can find her on TikTok, where she divulges her secrets on the occult and practices that work for her. She also has some very hot takes, I will say. So she is regularly harassed by what she jokingly refers to as, quote, Christian TikTok. (laughs) I spoke with her for almost two hours. She is absolutely fascinating and so enigmatic. She speaks with a confidence and she presents herself in such a matter-of-fact way. You're instantly drawn to her charisma. The whole time that she was talking to me, I was just wondering if I was under some sort of spell. Or was she just that magnetic? After hearing her speak, you might just be so empowered as to summon some demons yourself. However, do not do that until <laughs> until you have plenty of practice. Because as Chawan was telling me, demons are chaotic energy. They are tricksters in the sense that what you ask them to do might not be what you get back from them. Okay. In the same sense that like if you employed a mob boss to make something happen for you, that person might not give you exactly what it is that you want. Right. But what are you going to do about it? Go to the police? No. No. There's no demon police. Absolutely not. So to start off, I want to ask Chawan what a witch is. Different people have different opinions about who is and who isn't a witch. Okay. I personally come from the standpoint that every human being, we're talking you, me, your child, everyone, right. the human birthright is to be a witch. Because what is a witch? A witch is anyone who can mold and malleably, I'm making that word up, reality. And right. the thing is, is that I think that any human being who has even the desire to wake up in the morning and say, I want some sort of agency in my life is Mm -hmm. a type of witch, which is why a lot of people, they seem to either say, oh, you're a witch if you do specific activities, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to do the potions and the cauldron and the stereotypical things. But then there's other people like myself who are just like, Kylie Jenner's a witch, Madonna's (laughs) a witch, Ariana Grande's a witch, RuPaul's a witch. All these people are witches, even if they're not necessarily doing these like very obvious spells, because they have influenced society, they have agency over themselves. Being a witch doesn't mean that your life is perfect or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But it's the desire 
to have agency over your life. And I think that's something that every single human being has. My other question for you that I had is that I know you have said that you've worked with demons before. And I think for myself and a lot of people who hear the word demon, we have like a negative association with that, a serious fear with that. I mean, even just like Googling demon, obviously what comes up are a lot of negative things. On top of that, the majority of things that I hear about demons are like demonic possession that turns out very poorly for the host and people who are around. And so I'm just wondering, is that also a misconception? Is demon like a misnomer? I know perhaps that the name was sort of clouded by Christianity where they didn't want anything that was going against whatever the religious dogma was at the time. So I'm curious what you you have to say about that. Mm, I love that question. I love how you came into the question asking, what is this thing called demons? You said that, like a lot of people in Western society, and I think all around the world, you use the word demon, and there's a certain image that comes into your head. Right. And let me ask you, what sort of images automatically come into your head? I think of like the conjuring, walking backwards, spider walking, the exorcism, puking, medieval portraits of literally a devil like coming to steal a baby out of a crib a goat with horns with like a pentagram around it and like hooves a really old lady who's like whispering in your ear so a lot of the archetypes that you brought up are actually archetypes that exist in demonology mm-hmm. so first of all i should set up some context so i am a witch but as i said a witch is basically the birthright of every human so there's many varieties of witches, and I'm an atheist as well. So yes, you can be an atheist and you Uh can be a witch. So the way that I work with demons is probably different than somebody who grew up like really in some evangelical, like fundamentalist Christian household. Right. For me, demons are archetypes. And I use that word archetype to talk about the images that you had before. Mm -hmm. And there's many demonologists, demonologists. Demonologist is the name that we use for people who work with demons. Okay. So there's many who work with demons who also think of them as archetypes. And there has actually been, I'm sure you've heard of Aleister Crowley or many of your audience probably has. Yes. Famous guy, right? Right. He, back in the early 1900s, he and Mathers, some other dude, they wrote something to kind of update the idea of demons being an archetype because right then at that time period, you know, Freud and Jung, that sort of psychological model was really hot and hip. So right. Throughout history, the idea of demons has shifted. So in a lot of ways, demons are what the person doing the demon worship or demon work thinks that they are. So it's hard for me to say, no, that's completely wrong. No, that I can say that probably Hollywood is exaggerating. But at the same time, I've known people who've worked with demons and their life has definitely gone down the toilet. I also know that I've worked with demons many, 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 many times, very intensely for, I would say for about two years, I was working very intensely with them. Mm -hmm. My life is fine. In fact, my life is very peaceful and very fulfilling. So how do we, how do we compare and contrast those two and say, oh, well, this is definitely the negative thing is definitely demons. Maybe what you were doing was a demonology or you are not a demonologist. So it's really hard to say. So I know that's not a very satisfyingly like certain answer, but in real life, 
things are a lot more nuanced than it is in Hollywood or in books even. So do you think that whoever is working with demons, like if they're afraid, then whatever the the demon is or whatever that energy is, is going to be something that makes them afraid because they're already projecting that out. Whereas if you weren't afraid of whatever source you were working with, perhaps it wouldn't be scary. Is that what you're saying, sort of? (laughs) Kind of. So, okay. As an atheist, I'm working with any sort of deity, whether demon, angel. I've done a lot of angel magic too. And let me tell you, angel magic and angels are far more psychotic than any demon. (laughs) It's so true. Um, So I've worked with angels. I've worked with uh, ancient goddesses like Hecate. Mm -hmm. So every time I work with them as an atheist, the way that I approach it is very different. However, there are also people who approach these demons as being actually intelligent separate entities, right? So it's almost as if like Paimon is an actual entity that can be separate from me standing next to me versus for me as an atheist, I see Paimon as an archetype, something that's inside myself already, right? Right. But if you're somebody who believes they're an external thing, and even if you're an atheist, there are certain demons that I will not work with because I understand that the archetype is very chaotic and mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest, very toxic. Right. And I would only work with those archetypes. It's sort of like I wouldn't work with the the memory or the spirit of Ted Bundy. So a lot of what she's saying, first of all, super interesting. Like you said, very well-spoken person. I was enthralled the entire right. time that we were watching that. So thank you for bringing me this information. This is a new perspective that I haven't heard before. I do notice that there are some common threads that she's expressing. I don't want to put words in her mouth, but it, it does remind me of the episode we did on the Red Book game, mm-hmm. where one of the things that our listener learned after she went to a sort of like shaman or like Reiki healer mm-hmm. was that you should not ever play these sorts of games where you're summoning a ghost or a demon or a an spirit, entity, what yeah. a spirit, if you are someone who is not sure about what they're doing. And in that story they even took it a step further and said if you are sick if you have cancer like if you're unwell you absolutely should not play this game I think that I'm seeing some common threads there because it sounds like she's saying the reason why she has a successful outcome working with demons or whatever you want to call them is because she is sure of herself she knows what she's doing she's not a weak person and so they cannot take advantage of her Mm -hmm. that's what I took from it and the next question that I had for her is like How do you do this? When you work with these entities or these energies, I know it's coming out of yourself, as you've said before, but what does that sound like? Or what does that look like? Okay, so there's demons all across cultures, right? And there are certain demons that are kind of like famous, right? They're kind of like demon famous. You know, we have TikTok famous, we have demon famous. So I work with 72 demons that come from a specific type of magic. And this is Solomonic magic. And so let me give you a little bit of a sort of background about these demons. So if you've read the Bible, you know that there was a king named Solomon and his dad was King David, right? Yeah. So King Solomon, if you guys remember from Bible study or Sunday school, 
This king was a great king. He built a temple in Jerusalem. He like had a lot of diplomatic ties. He had a thousand wives and concubines. He was a powerful, powerful king. He was a complicated character. You know, he was like kind of a sex addict, kind of like, I want power. Depending on, you know, what woman caught his eye, if she was like, oh, you know, I'm not Christian or Jewish, uh, but I worship this goddess, you know, Astaroth. Can you build a temple? You know, he's in the throes of being infatuated with her. He'd be like, yeah, let's right. build that temple, even though my religion says you shall not worship any other idols. So in the end, when it all comes down to it, Solomon, he was really after like esoteric knowledge. He was mm -hmm. after wisdom and he had this ring and it's called the seal of Solomon. And this ring supposedly allowed him to know what we now call the occult. Occult comes from the Latin word occultus, which means mm. secret or hidden. So right. anytime that I use the word occult, it could mean many, many different things. In the West, we see it as like the typical like demonology, you know, like conjuring up spirits, necromancy right. and all that stuff, you know. But he had this ring and it supposedly gave him tons of powers. And everybody was just like, the reason why Solomon can have a thousand concubines and wives is because he worked with demons to make himself magnetic. The reason why he's able to conquer all these lands and be victorious is because he's working with demons. The reason why he was able to build this temple in Jerusalem, which by the way, had multi-ton stones, right? Mm. I mean, it was great until that, you know, it fell down later, like a couple centuries later. But the reason why is that he's working with demons. People were saying, that there's invisible spirits that will lift these multi-ton stones. And also, I think either in the Bible or some sort of non-canonical biblical text, it says what happened was Solomon, he took a male and female demon, mm -hmm. tortured them. Like, this is a man. He's grabbing these demons, these all-powerful demons, grabs them, tortures them, and he's just like, where is this worm called Shamir or something like that, right? Right. And they were like, Oh, ask the king of the demons, you know, Asmodeus. So what happened was that there's this worm character and this worm character kind of goes boop on a stone and then the stone either breaks apart or it's like cut perfectly. So first you have this like mythical, magical worm right. cutting the stone and then you have these invisible spirits lifting the stone mm -hmm. and then building this temple, this great temple. And then he got this, this king of demons, Asmodeus, put him in chains, okay? And people are just like, how can a human being do that to a demon? And even after the temple was built, he still like kept the demon in chains. Right. And then one day he was just like, when I read this, I laughed, right? He was just like, you know what? You're a demon. And supposedly you're supposed to be more powerful than me. In fact, God sent you after me because I was getting too involved in like money and wealth and building right. temples for these pagan goddesses and stuff. But you're chained up. Like, how's that? I don't even think, I don't believe you, man. I don't believe that you're powerful. Right. And then Asmodeus was like, well, how about this? I can show you how powerful I am. So give me your ring, give me your seal and I'll show you. And of course, filled with hubris and just being really arrogant. Right. Solomon was like, sure, takes off the ring, gives it to the demon. The demon puts one wing up to heaven, puts one wing down to earth. And then he flings Solomon, like, and it says something like 400, whatever metrics they use back then, away right. from Jerusalem and put himself as king for a while. And then when Solomon came back, he was just like, you know what? I believe you. I believe that you could totally mess me up. So after that, 
the, the the legend is that he always kept the greatest heroes. Like he had a, an entire like crew of the greatest warriors and bodyguards guarding him while he slept because once he was able to see the real power of the demons, he was like, right. I will not mess with these entities. Right. So obviously, according to these legends, the demons were real. They were actually kind of human-like in a lot of ways mm-hmm. because you could chain them, you could torture them, you could have them do things for you. And Solomon, as long as he wore his ring, his seal, he was good. Yeah. So a lot of Western ceremonial magic, ceremonial magic is like all that sort of magic, which is very ceremonial, which is very like, you got to wear a certain outfit, you got to say certain words. It's what we right. think about when we think of the occult. Yeah. Western ceremonial magic all really begins with Solomon. Solomon lived a thousand years before Jesus, right? But even like after Jesus came and went, people were writing down stuff like, yeah, Solomon, he had an army of demons. Solomon did this. (laughs) Solomon exercised demons. Solomon did that. Everything that has to do with demons, people are just like, Solomon did it. Solomon was great at it. Solomon became powerful because of demons. And so when we talk about any sort of magic that has to do with demons, we're Mm -hmm. automatically gonna think about Solomon. Consistently, for thousands of years, people have said Solomon knew how to work with demons and to take their energy. And Mm -hmm. I mean, not just in the Bible, not just in the Old Testament. We're also talking in the Quran. He's mentioned like 16 times. The Quran actually is just like, oh yeah, he knew how to work with the jinn. But there's many different cultures that have the same sort of way of looking at demons. But across cultures, the way that people see demons is that they're definitely more earth-based energies. They're definitely like, they come from the earth. They Mm -hmm. come from this plane. Versus angels, they're celestial beings. They come down from the stars or come down from heaven. Right. So there seems to be across cultures, this idea of like the separation between these rather human-like or at least in a lot of ways, I would say um, very human-esque and easier to relate to entities that can be called demonic. Right. To me, demons are just earth-based, more chaotic energies. But the basis of Christianity is in Judaism. And the Jewish people, you know, they were coming from Egypt. You know, they were transitioning into this entire thing of the one God and everything like that. Right. Back then, because they were around uh, Egyptians and later on they were in Babylon, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously what your neighbor's doing is going to influence you as well. Mm -hmm. And the history of the the Jewish esoteric practices is that there's many different schools, unlike Christianity, which is kind of like maybe because we have the Vatican and they were just like, this is the way it is. There are lots of different schools and they have lots of different texts. And, you know, there were actually some texts that the more educated, I guess, the aristocracy Mm. of the Jewish people that they kind of did. And then there was the sort of like the more quote unquote supernatural, superstitious stuff that the everyday common Jewish people looked at. So For us to talk about like demons and angels and all these entities, we have to realize that the basis of it is just so mixed up. And like, there wasn't even a concept of hell in Judaism for the longest time. And it just evolved, everything just over the centuries, they just evolved and evolved. And then Christians, they kind of took the Jewish stuff and then they just ran with it. By the Renaissance, the Christian imagination was like, oh my God, hell looks like this. Demons are like here, there's dukes, 
And it was like, very specific. Yeah. There's like very specific guidelines. This is right. This is wrong. If you do this wrong thing, you'll go to hell. This is what hell is like. This is the ruler of hell. I was raised Christian, so I'm very familiar with all of these rules and ideas. It's very, very specific. Whereas what you're saying is these terms, demon and angel, it, it's really so much broader than that. It's kind of like trying to take all of the colors in the rainbow and saying like, here's blue and here's red where you're like, there's more than that, right? Exactly. Exactly. Like the legends, of course, give us the mythology and mythology is very, very powerful. If you're told a story and your culture tells the same story over and over again for thousands of years and many, many generations, it's almost as if that mythology has a life of its own, right? Yeah. So I don't want to say that, oh my God, you know, demons and angels are completely like figments of the imagination and no problem. You can just pick up a book about demonology. You can pick up the Lamegaton and just start doing demon stuff. No problems. I'm not saying that at all. I think it's important to respect the fact that because this is such ingrained mythology, especially in Western culture, and if you grew up in the West, it doesn't matter what your you know, ethnic background is, you've been raised in a Judeo-Christian culture. True. So because of that, and the Hollywood movies that we've seen, the stories yeah. we've been told, and all of that stuff, we need to respect the fact that there is some sort of, I would say, almost hypnotic power mm-hmm. about working with demons and angels. For me, I never went to church, you know, I've been an atheist all my life. Right. So probably that affected the way that I work with demons. But there are people who were raised Catholic and their experiences have been very different from mine. And I can't say that what they've experienced is wrong. Of course, the the archetypes that they're working with, I think probably from the time they were children, it's been like the grooves in their brain are different. Right, they're living in a different reality than you are at the end of the day, because you both see the world so differently. But I will say if they were to work with, let's say, I'm gonna use Paimon again. They were to work with that one demon. So I'm talking about the 72 demons in the uh, the Lamegaton, which mm-hmm. are probably the most popular. It's like a almost like a directory of right. these like powerful demons, and <laughs> um, they, it became really popular in Renaissance Christian Europe. There were five books that were put together on the 16th century, 17th century, compiled together from sources from many centuries before. And again, this is all Solomonic magic. So there's 72 demons. Of course, there's so many more demons than those 72. But these 72 demons, there are demons in there that, to be honest, they're very toxic. And if I were to work with them, and let's say somebody who was raised in a fundamentalist Christian household was to work with them, I have a feeling that we would both have kind of similar results in terms of what would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's certain demons that are known to be more beginner friendly because they're more jolly in nature. They're more kind in nature. There's other demons that are really good for seduction and sex. Like if you want to hook up with somebody, you work with them, but there's right. other demons that you work with that if you want to like learn a language more quickly, you work with them. But then right. there's other demons. If you want to hex somebody, if you want to make your enemies suffer and bleed, those are the demons you work with. And so I've worked with a wide variety of these demons and each demon is definitely different. Now I can say that these are all figments of my imagination, but I think it's something more than that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the techniques of working with demons is really important. Like to go back to your question of, how do you work with demons? Right. There's specific techniques laid out in these books. So you start out with a meditation. 
you're trying to get yourself in the mindset that you can let the energies or the demon come through you. Okay. And then there's three separate techniques that you can use depending on what you want in terms of your experience. There's some techniques where you don't see the demon. Like the demon is actually going inside of you and in a way you become the demon. You oh, wow. are animated by the demon. But then there's other techniques where the demon will actually appear in front of you, you know, like an apparition. Okay. I've never tried that because I'm not interested, but I've tried the other techniques, which is more like the demon goes in you. Right. I have to say that because I really enjoy the, at least in ceremony, like I enjoy like really getting into it. I definitely felt different. So she basically goes on to explain that the Lemmigatten, which is this text that gained popularity in the Renaissance, but it was actually compiled of ancient texts from the time of King Solomon. It's also known as the Lesser Key of Solomon. And it's basically, as she described it to me, a directory of 72 demons. Like really? how to contact these 72 demons. Like the yellow demons. pages. Yes. But for demons. Exactly. That is so fucking cool. Yes. And so that's what I'm going to show you right now is the 72 demons and their sigils that go with them. You want to just read some of those words. Obviously, there's 72, so you don't have to like read all of them. But yeah, Natalia is showing me a list of 72 names of demons. So, for example, I'll just read the first five. One, Duke, Agaris. Two, wait, if I say this shit, am I summoning them? No. Okay, good, because I'm not strong. No, it's hard to summon them. I'll tell you how. Okay, cool, because I don't want to (laughs) accidentally summon someone. I'm not like ready. if someone in Japan right now says, Alyssa, are you going to show up there? I don't know. They'd have to I call mean, you. They'd have to have your number. They'd have to have okay. like a way All to right. communicate with you. I see what you. you're saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Two, Prince v- Visago. Three, Marquise Samigi. Marquis. Marquis? Oh, I was going to say, I I went to school so, with a guy named Marquis. So and he was not a demon. These, he was very nice. <laughs> these are their titles. So it's like Duke Agares because oh. there's also Duke Elios or whatever. Oh, I see. So his name is Agares and his title is Duke. Yes. Okay, two. His name is Visago, but his title is Prince. Yes. Three. His name is Samigina. But Samagina. Samagina? <laughs> but his title is Marquis. Four, Marbus, but the title is President. Five, Valifor, and its title is Duke. There's a ton of these. They go on. There's a bunch of presidents. There's a bunch of dukes. There's a bunch of marquis. There's a bunch of like counts. counts etc. They're all familiar names, though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes you kind of realize that the underworld or wherever the world that these demons exist in is similar to human yeah. realm because they have obviously some sort of political structure there where they have like presidents and and all of that right that's a good point and thought of that here are the sigils that go along with the 72 demons do you want to describe what the sigils look like they look like pictographs i don't know if people are familiar with like santa fe hieroglyphs uh-huh. like when you think of like jewelry in santa fe right. and you're like here's like coco pele and he's yeah. playing a flute and he represents fertility like that's what a lot of these things look like to me they look like drawings that you would find um, like indigenous cultures drawings yeah 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 definitely and we actually talked about it in our episode the falcon lake institute yeah. we, we talked about i think pictographs or pictograms yeah and a lot of them do look like this, which sort of deepens the mystery, right? Like, right. Like if all cultures across the world have sigils. drawings that look like this, yeah. then does everyone have a sigil? And was everyone working with demons 
Right. All the time. The pot thickens. So here is a picture of that seal of Solomon, that actual ring. It's also like a symbol of secret societies and people who practice the cult. If you ever see this somewhere, it's probably those people are either fans of the occult or they're practicing some sort of magic or something like that. So what Natalia is showing me looks like a stamp. It's like a circle with a smaller circle inside of it. Mm -hmm. Inside that circle, it's divided into quarters. And then through the middle, it looks like there's a keyhole. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's a lot of symbols that I don't immediately recognize going around the edges. At first glance, I thought it was constellations. Yeah. But now as I'm looking closer, I'm not sure what they are. Yeah. If you saw that, though, would, you're, would you know it was haunted? I don't know what to say that is not going to trigger someone who's <laughs> listening to this episode. My honest gut reaction when I look at this is I think it's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> it it's, is. It's yeah. very busy. However, knowing the context behind it, that it's like an ancient ring that right. some dude wore who was consorting with like demons, entities and demons, yeah. whatever you want to call them, that makes it cooler because it's historical significance on top right. of occult significance yeah but me as like you know some like douchebag just <laughs> looking at it i'm like i wouldn't want that on my wall it's like too busy right it's kind of ugly and so in this book the lemmageddon that she talks about i kind of like looked it up and it's basically like the most famous of the grimoires not because it's the best but because it's the most popular and like widely used king solomon was like demon famous in the same way that someone might be like tiktok famous like oh, people knew of him for working with the demons and so it doesn't matter if he was the best or not like he's the person everyone knew him yes and yeah. so his stuff is like really well known so here is an image from the lemmageddon on how to how you're supposed to like set up this ritual where you evoke a demon see that is that is a pretty symbol to me it's like a uh, symmetrical it looks ornate so there's like a big circle and that's supposed to be the circle that you stand in and oh, when you're okay. protected so there's like a whole ritual that you have to go through um to be able to summon an entity or whatever and depending on what you're doing it's going to be different but the basic thing is like okay you meditate you clear your energy whatever you need to do and then you like draw out this magic circle out around you and it's like east south west north and then you draw these like pentagrams on the sides with like all of these it looks like hebrew scripture in yeah. there and there's like a giant snake going around and then in front of the circle away from you draw a triangle and the triangle says cha l and me and i think it's in latin and it has a bunch of other latin words around it and you stay in the circle and whatever you summon the entity if you're choosing to summon an entity outside of your body it's going to appear in that little triangle oh interesting so it has a smaller space to move around than you do yes but what chawan was discussing when i asked her about how she summons demons is she was saying that she chooses to summon the demon within her so, oh, so she's effectively 
being possessed. Yeah, allowing herself to be possessed. Yes. She, I don't think, wants to use that word because there it's such a word with like heavy ties to yeah. it about being it's possessed. Yeah. yeah, and she was talking about how, you know, there are like certain religions where pe- like people will call their god or their deity into their body like as a vessel. And I think even in Christianity, like don't we think that the Pope is like a vessel of God sometimes? I think in Catholicism, people think that. But I've also heard for, in Lutheranism, like, God lives in all of us, right? right? Like, yeah, he's and with us always. He's inside us. And that's basically what she's saying is that, like, possession to some people means something totally different to other people. You know what? That makes sense because we would never say God is possessing my body and, like, use it in a negative way. If anything, you would say, like, oh... I mean, I don't even know what you would say. You just wouldn't say that because in Christianity, you're right. It has a negative connotation. So I understand where she's coming from about not wanting to use that word. Totally. So you might be asking yourself, like, what are the benefits to summoning these entities or these demons? You know, when people talk about the word flow, oh, I was yeah. in the flow. Flow, you feel like yourself, but you're not yourself, right? It's like good luck. Like everything's happening to you. You're, you have momentum. I've felt it very few times in my life, but where it's just like, you can't lose sort of feeling. Now for me, I have been searching for sort of like the source code of what flow is. And I know there's a lot of psychological research about what flow is and that's like very cute. And you know, that's very helpful. Yeah. But for me, when I was working with demons, what I noticed was that the flow that I received when I worked with demons, it was very similar to that feeling that you mentioned, like the, the luck where things just sort right. of, each step, it just kind of falls into place. It feels like maybe what people who are talented probably feel, you know, where it's like, you can just do things naturally, you know? <laughs> One of the great things about working with any sort of spiritual entity, so not just with demons, angels, I would say they're kind of an advanced thing because like I mentioned, they're kind of psychotic, but in other sort of like deity work that people do, you know, they work with, some people work with Jupiter, they work with Greek gods, they work with, you know, the Viking Norse gods, whatever sort of system you're working with. The cool thing about spirit magic is that, the spirits, they do the heavy lifting for you in a Mm. lot of ways. So they're kind of like holding your hand invisibly and they're just like, let's go along this way. No, 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 don't go turning down that way. No, not that hallway. Let's go into this room, you know? So whether or not that's actually true or not, it's almost irrelevant because just from my firsthand experience as an atheist, the flow Mm. is nice. Right. Flow that I've experienced with demons has been amazing. Now, I have also worked with angels. Right. Angels, well, how are the angels psychotic? What do you mean? I mean they're psychotic as in, okay, so as I mentioned across cultures, when people talk about demons, they're talking about almost like human-like spirits. Mm-hmm. Imagine aliens, okay, from outer space. Yeah. They're not malevolent, but they're just so different from us. So like, for example, let's say that you were like, you know what? I want to, this is the worst sort of like spell to do or petition to ask for, but let's say you wanted to be a millionaire, okay? I want to become a millionaire. If you work with a demon, the demon kind of like has more of an, oh, you know, like human beings that kind of operate like this. This is what modern society looks like. This is what you do so you don't look completely crazy. You know, they're a little bit more like that. Not saying they're not chaotic. They are still demons Mm -hmm. and they're not 100% human. So they don't have the same empathy, let's say, right? However... 
When you're working with angels and you say, oh, you know, I would love to be a millionaire. The angel who is, let's say, not malevolent and wants to help is going to be like, oh, well, for you to become a millionaire, the fastest, most efficient way you're going to love this is I'm just going to burn down the house and all your family is going to get killed in the fire. And then you'll just get the life insurance money and you'll become a millionaire. So the result right. is you become a millionaire, but because angels are so removed from what it is to be a human, they can be a little bit psychotic, which is a reason why I'm just like, when you work with angels, you have to be very careful. And right. Careful what you wish for, kind careful of. Careful what you wish for. And also, I think that you need to be more advanced in your spiritual journey because you also need to realize that because you can't relate to them and they can't relate to you, you may think that you got all your bases covered and you ask carefully and things mm -hmm. will still happen in a very destructive way. Mm -hmm. It's eventually constructive, but while you're going through it, it's destructive. And so you need to ask yourself, if I'm working with demons, they're a little bit more beginner friendly, uh, softer, more gentle mm -hmm. ways to get to the end goal, maybe slower. Right. angels they will go in and just boom we're talking like you know the angels with the flaming sword and stuff they will they will basically do what you ask them but they will go about it in the most efficient way possible they're kind of psychotic sociopathic in that right way. i have worked with angels and um they have definitely had that energy now eventually I appreciated it but while I was going through it I remember regretting it and being like I really wish I worked with a demon instead you know do you, do you have like a specific instance where you worked with an angel and you asked for something that you regretted and if that's happened to you would you like to share it <laughs> oh so many instances I think I worked with angels like three or four times until I was just like you know what I, I think I get the I get the hint so I think it was for um I asked the angel and this was a great like new age sort of like feel good positive vibes only sort of request mm -hmm. which is please remove toxicity from my life like toxic people right and I was like things are going to go great angels are benevolent creatures they're looking out for me right uh, it's and the request it's so lofty and noble right remove mm -hmm. toxicity from my life and then for the you know the next like six months it was really painful the people who were removed from my life who revealed themselves as being um, not a good match for me um i wasn't right. ready for it so it kind of felt like it backfired in the sense that like you were saying get rid of the people who i perceive as toxic from my life but the angels really showed you that perhaps people you trusted or liked were toxic and showed that to you? Exactly. And I was even more general. I just wanted toxicity to be taken. And I thought that it would be like the obvious stuff would mm -hmm. be taken out. But the angels, they were very sharp and to the point. And they were just like, let's take out all the toxicity. Right. Let's burn it down. Burn it down. And that's what happened. Uh, versus I think that if I had worked with demons then they would have been a little bit more political. They would have been a little bit more strategic. They would have been like, I don't think you're ready to let go of that guy yet. So let's work right. around it a little bit. You know, let's show little bit by little bit like that he's not a great guy, you know, kind of work up to it. I think that the way she describes angels is super interesting to me and makes a lot of sense because an angel is a perfect 
entity, right? I mean, I'm just going based off of my limited knowledge of angels right. from my upbringing. For example, I remember seeing on Reddit recently on r slash high strangeness, I'm pretty sure, a drawing of what an angel is as described by religious texts. Mm -hmm. And it is not a human. Yeah, it's like a ring with a bunch of eyeballs. Yeah. It's scary. It's crazy looking. Yeah. And so it makes sense that something like that would not have any concept of what you as a human are actually asking for. Right. Whereas a demon is always portrayed as like, like you said, a dude, <laughs> a dude with like a red suit, a red suit on and a pitchfork yeah. and horns. It's more personified and he can come up and be like, oh, you want to get rich? All right. I know what money is, you right. know, whereas an angel's like, oh, you want to be a millionaire? Like yeah. I, me as this blinking eye in the sky <laughs> with like Saturn's rings whipping around, I'm going to make society as a whole cease to exist so that you're the only person yeah. here and therefore the richest, you know? Like, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what she's saying. I also thought it was funny that humans have more in common with the demons than we do with the angels because demons, like she said, are chaos and they're like an earthly chaotic energy and they understand humanity and we have similar structures. We have more in common with the demons than the angels. And she also says that the demons really shine with the type of things that demons and people understand. So like beauty, art, getting laid, becoming popular, winning an award, financial gain, learning a new language, acing a test, getting someone to take an interest in you. I think of like a demon as being sort of like a con artist or like someone who's on the street like with a big trench coat and you walk up to him and you're like, hey, can I get some pot from you? And they like right. open up their trench coat and they have like a bunch of contraband of like you know fake ids and like fake money and like pa like fake passports and just like all of this stuff that's illegal but super helpful but you, you would treat that person the same way that you would treat an entity their moral compass is not necessarily the same as you know the law-abiding citizen right right and it seems like they're only out for their own good it's transactional they want money for something you wouldn't necessarily like invite that person over to Thanksgiving dinner and like trust them with like, you know, your bank account numbers. No, totally. Or like your pin. You kind of have to treat them like a four way stop. And I think that's like what she's sort of saying with the demons. To go along with that analogy. So it's like walking up to a guy in the street who's wearing a trench coat and you say to him, hey, man, I really need fake ID. I'm yeah. like, I'm 19 and I want to go to the bar. I really need a fake ID. Right. And then he opens up his trench coat and you're like, wait a minute, is this guy going to show me his dick or does he actually have a fake ID under there? I don't know. This right. is like a chaotic man. This yes. could go well yes. or this could go not well. Right. Like he may give me what I'm asking for or he may just be a trickster and be like, haha, you saw my dick and run away. <laughs> exactly. Which is why she says that like the kind of people who are a good candidate for summoning a demon should be people who aren't desperate and they're like coming from a neutral place. I'm not saying that everyone should work with demons, but if you are in a way called to work with demons, and I right. would say a really good way to see if you're called to work with demons is if you think about it, you feel excited, but in a slightly neutral way. Like you don't feel sort of like, yeah, I'm going to stick it to the church or yeah, I'm going to, you know what I mean? But it's a little bit more neutral. You know, there isn't the same sort of baggage of like, yeah. I'm going to rebel against parents. I want to like do something dark and whatever, you know. Have you ever heard of the term chaotic neutral? Yes. Yes. I've been told that I'm a chaotic neutral and I didn't see anything negative in that. Like I was actually like, oh, thank you. You know, like that's a, an amazing thing that someone's saying to me, you know, like I'm not predictable. 
but I'm also not bad, but I'm also not good, which I liked, you know, that I'm like not in this sort of bad or good. I'm like outside of the morality. So I like totally took it as like, oh, that's cool. You know, I'm glad that people perceive me that way. So now I'm thinking like, maybe I'm a demon. I don't know. I'm totally interested in what you're saying. And I'm very like open and neutral about this. And I'm also educated on what people who would think this was scary would say and what people who think this is not scary would say. And I really just sit sort of in the middle of just trying to like, you know, I'm curious, I'm very curious and just interested in what you're saying. You're like, I think this is very fascinating. <laughs> Perfect mindset. Yeah. Curious, chaotic, neutral. Right. If you're somebody who's not chaotic, neutral, probably not the right person for working with demons because the results are not predictable a lot of times. And if you can't kind of like go with the flow, then you're going to have a horrible time working with demons. Yeah, it's going to be out of your control. And so you're going to hate it. Yeah. Also, another thing to, to add as well, there is something to be said about if you're working with demons and let's say that, you know, you lost your job, your girlfriend left you and all these bad things happened. And then you're going to start working with demons. I would say probably not the best idea. Right. There's something about that chaotic energy that really thrives when the person doing the magic is in a more stable place in their life. Because the chaos they're going to bring into your life is going to destabilize your life no matter what. Right. One of the things about being in a long-term negative mood, mm-hmm. it's not so much that it's bad to be in a negative mood. There's nothing wrong with being in a negative mood. It's just that when you're in a negative mood, there's a lot of instability and a lot of chaos that naturally comes with it. That's just the way it is. Yeah, totally. And that's what the problem is in terms of like working with demons. They are first and foremost destabilizing. All sorts of magic, especially magic that deals with these naturally chaotic energies will destabilize you. This is the reason why even if you get the results that you want from demons, sometimes it can be a bit much. And no matter what, it's gonna bring your life into chaos. Yeah. This is also another reason why I would say if you've got a lot to lose, okay, let's say that um, you're doing a lot of projects, you're in situations where if one thing goes wrong, then the whole thing just collapses. Yeah. Also not a good reason to work with demons. Just not a good, there's other entities that you can work with, but demons, no. It's so interesting because it's almost like with a lot of things in life, like I say this about like plastic surgery, like the people who want it the most are like the people who are not going to benefit from it. Like it's just going to send you on a downward spiral of wanting to fix everything because you're not like doing the internal work on yourself. Right. But like, if you're just coming from it from like a neutral perspective of like, I think that I would like to try a different nose on that's a perfect candidate for this, you know? And I feel like it sort of sounds like it's the same with the demons. Like if you want something bad enough that you're willing to work with these chaotic forces, then you perhaps you're not stable enough to work with the chaotic forces in the first place mentally. Bingo, bingo. One of the worst examples that I gave is talk about like when to use the demons is like to get your your rent paid on time right no it's actually the worst time to work with demons because you're desperate yeah desperation breeds desperate results as someone who like has zero knowledge about 
anything she's talking about. I think it's something that I'd have to sit on and like really think about in mm-hmm. order to sift through and and understand what she means. It's a because because it's a lot of new information, and I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking the same thing. But yeah, like I mean, relating it to st- some stuff that we've learned before on this show, trying to make a deal with anybody, like any sort of entity, just always seems like it only works out for people who like the outcome is would be inconsequential too if that makes sense right. like madonna's already super fucking rich yeah so if she goes and consorts with someone from that list of 72 i could totally see it just like either working out in her favor or not affecting anything at all right but then if you're talking about someone who is really destitute yeah and trying to do the same thing i could see how it's not gonna work out right yeah one of the hot topic things she talks about is hexing and i know on this podcast we've talked about how we don't think hexing is good basically i've said i would never do it and she gives sort of what i think is like a really honest account of hexing i don't understand why someone would hex somebody else because it's gonna like come back to haunt them first of all we're constantly hexing other people even if we don't think we are anytime that you have a negative thought against a person every time you're just like feeling that sort of way against somebody you're hexing them right so there's a way to formalize that hexing, which is through magic, but there's constant hexing going on all the time. And there's some people who, and I'm sure we all know somebody who where their moods are so intense that when they hex somebody or when they wish ill on somebody, something bad happens to that other person. And people are just like, dude, did you do a spell or something? Yeah. I was like, no, I, I just really hate that person. And then something bad happens to them. Right. Now, a lot of people then conversely think oh my god somebody hexed me like this is the number one thing that happens to me like as a witch i get emails and messages being like somebody hexed me please help right here's the thing no one can hex you as well as you can hex yourself this is such an irony of life but the thing is the type of person who believes that they've been hexed 99 percent of the time they've hexed themselves yeah most people don't have the skill to really launch a hex and have it land on you and have it affect your life to the point where you will be like, oh my God, I'm, I'm hexed. Yeah, one of the telltale signs of being hexed, if you're an absolute target of being hexed, is that randomly you'll start thinking about, dreaming about, or like just have like this feeling of that person who's hexing you. Like it's like their residual energy is like getting into you, right? Yeah. Which makes people suspicious because they don't like somebody, then they get sick. And they're like, well, they must have hexed me because I keep thinking about them. You know, it's like, well, you didn't like them. So that's why you're thinking about them. But then what happens when you randomly start thinking about somebody, dreaming about somebody, whatever. So unless you're like a really experienced occultist to say that you've been hexed or somebody threw some sort of like curse at you, I would say probably not. Probably it's other things you've done it to yourself it's non-magical in terms of like an actual magic spell right so the entire idea of cursing and hexing and all that stuff i think people love to talk about it and pretend like they can hex others because it makes them feel powerful mm-hmm. and i actually did a TikTok like last year kind of as a joke where you know there were some trolls in my comment and i was just like oh cool well then can my audience can they use you as hexing practice right And then, you know, then you know who actually is and isn't like fully like superstitious or whatever. I don't really think that cursing and hexing another person is 
gonna work most of the yeah. time. But in the off chance that it works, I think that you'll regret it. Not necessarily because anything's gonna come back at you. Because if the entire, you know, like rule of three, law of three was actually real, right. then we wouldn't have, you know, what's his face? Pol Pot dying peacefully, like in his apartment while, mm -hmm. you know, he was part of the genocide in Cambodia. We wouldn't have the military dictator of Korea, Chun Doo Hwan, died peacefully, like in his luxury apartment in Seoul while, you know, he had massacred thousands of people in um, uprisings in the 1980s in Korea, we wouldn't mm -hmm. have Stalin, you know? We yeah. wouldn't have Stalin dying peacefully when he just, you know, genocide and whatever. Right. So the thing is, is that if we look out into the world, we see evidence that the law of three just makes people feel good, but it doesn't really work that often. It's not consistent. Instead of being afraid of that, which I think is also very much based upon this idea that Christians and the Judeo-Christian um, tradition has, which is that, there's justice, you know, like there's something, you do something that something happens back, you know what right. I mean? In the end, there will be justice. Not really. If you look at the world, there's not really that much justice. So instead of doing magic from that sort of standpoint, which I think is kind of wishful thinking, mm -hmm. instead, you need to ask yourself very honestly, how would I feel if I did a hex on somebody for them to lose their job? And not only did they lose their job, but they lost their family, mm -hmm. you know, because of it. How would yeah. I feel if they just completely and absolutely destroyed their life based upon them losing their job? Can mm -hmm. I feel comfortable with myself? Even if I'm perfectly fine, how would I feel? And that's the sort of way that we should do magic. But in terms of, you know, things returning back to you, I've done many a hex. It's never come back to me, ever, ever. Right. So just from that, you know, I'm sure that if I counted up the amount of hexes I did, it would be over 20 nothing quote-unquote bad happened to me right at the same time i don't do them anymore because i realize that i just don't feel comfortable with yeah. the lack of control that happens after its launch well maybe that's like the way it, ca it came back though is like you're gonna have to think for the rest of your life was i responsible where did my hex end and their natural luck happen right like if they did lose a family member was that my fault you know, maybe that could be the it, way that it came back exactly so depending yeah. on your personality if you're the type of person who feels guilty easily hexing is not for you working right. with a demon to hex somebody no matter how angry you are probably not for you the last thing I want to do is I want to show you some examples that I found online of people actually doing these rituals to see what they look like because oh, they're man, actually this like going to be scary. I know to me as an inexperienced person, I know that I'm going to watch this and be scared, but I'm that's what this podcast is for. Right. So this video is like kind of funny in the sense that like <laughs> these are extreme edgelords. No fucking way. Yeah. So this video is called no The Magic way. of Solomon Lemageddon Secrets Revealed The Truth About Angels and Demons Free Movie. The magical rituals demonstrated in this video are performed by practicing magicians, not professional actors. These rites were recorded inside an actual magical temple, not on a Hollywood soundstage. The techniques shown are authentic and very effective. Viewers are warned against casual experimentation with these methods. Mind-altering substances should never be used in connection with this practice. Only mature persons in good mental and physical health should undertake these activities. 
This system should be approached with the same respect one would accord to a full contact martial art. This documentary is offered to the public as an educational introduction to an ancient Western tradition of psycho-spiritual development that has been misunderstood and maligned. Practitioners of Solomon's magic are not Satanists who make pacts with the devil. They are spiritual explorers in the deep caverns of the mind, carrying with them the lamp of wisdom and armed with the power of God. This guy is like kind of legendary. The reason why I'm saying no way is because I can already tell this dude is a legend. Since time immemorial, magicians have placed themselves and others into states of trance, during which visions and oracles were received. We now know that this process was hypnotic, and that all the phenomenon we have come to associate with modern hypnosis was in fact known and practiced by ancient sorcerers under the guise of fascination, spellcasting, and enchantment. The powerful hypnotic effect achieved through a fixed gaze on a reflective surface is the reason why the crystal ball or shoe stone and the dark mirror or speculum were used by wizards of olden times as their spiritus loci, the actual place where angels and spirits could be conjured to visible appearance. This experience is usually accompanied by a profound sense of an otherworldly presence. It probably went back as far as the Paleolithic, when Stone Age people stared fascinated at their reflections in dark, still pools of water, seeing the strange transformation occur and being convinced that they were in the presence of their gods. This might well be the hidden meaning behind that strange passage in the Bible that reads, God fashioned man in his own image. I command thee by the Tetragrammaton, Amashau, by which the elements are overturned, the air is sundered, the fire is generated, the earth moves, the sea rolls back, and all those of things celestial, of things terrestrial, of things infernal, do tremble and are confounded together. Come, appear before this circle, within that triangle, in fair and human form, without horror or deformity and without delay. Come from whatever part of the world thou art and answer my questions. Come presently, come visibly, come affably and manifest that which I desire. Being summoned by the true and living God, Iliorum, I command thee by the particular king who rules over thee, the mighty Amaman, and by the power of the archangel Raphael, I command thee, appear before me, and speak unto me in a clear intelligible voice in my mother tongue, free from ambiguity and guile. Come in the name 
I've had on eyes a beowth. Come, why dost thou tarry? I don't hide, Jedi. King of kings commands thee. I've not been dead, but only sleeping. Hardly longer than a wink. I'll be up and rolling thunder once I have another drink. <laughs> so that guy's a legend and that chanting he's saying is a way to call the demon into that triangle got it so natalia showed me what appears to be in a vhs tape uh that this guy made which is actually very high production it's value amazing for the time period that I believe it was filmed in. And then somebody uploaded the full video to YouTube. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm going to definitely put it in the links. So check that out. You know, I love Chawan. She's very enigmatic, very charismatic. I like still, I think it's because of my Christian upbringing or whatever. It scares me a little bit to think of her like in the room in the dark with a circle drawn around her and all these pentagrams and all of the candles, like, citing this thing, you know. I doubt she's like, oh, Raphael, you know, yeah, but yeah. maybe she is. I don't know. And, like, that, like, commends a level of respect from me towards someone like her. And so even if you don't think any of this is real, you think this is all bullshit, it still, like, inspires a type of respect from people towards her. Like, I'm not going to piss that woman off, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> no, totally. No way. I think something that I'm going to see if I can figure out how to phrase this idea I have in my head properly. Because you, you made a comment, um, like, regardless of whether or not you think it's real. And I think she had made a comment that you can't be hexed if you believe you're above hexing. And it made me think. So then another way of saying that is, if you don't believe any of this is real, you're unhexable. You've made it. Yeah. And you've made it unreal. Yeah. Well, right. yeah. Like if I don't think hexing is real, then nobody can hex me because I'm above it. I'm right. like, that's not even real. It's right? the same argument that we talked about in the beginning of like, it doesn't matter whether the bread is Jesus or it's not Jesus. We're both drinking the bread at church. Right. It's like we are both not getting hexed whether or not. Yeah. Hey, good. We point. believe in this shit that's a great point yeah. yeah so if i believe in it but i think i'm above being hexed then i'm still not getting hexed and if you don't believe in it then you're also not getting hexed so what's what's the fucking difference right yeah yeah i mean this is all very interesting to me because it's it is very tempting when she says like oh you could learn a new language easily or like this could make you more likable um to you know you, someone who's interviewing you for a new job or something like that and i thought to myself you know because she talks about how she's very pragmatic with her magic she literally makes like an excel spreadsheet mm -hmm. throughout the whole year puts in all the spells oh, that she's done yeah and then i was literally thinking like oh this is like Alyssa as a witch yeah. <laughs> and then she puts like whether or not it worked and so at the end of the year oh, she cool. can see what works and what doesn't oh work. i love that that's very data driven which i'm a fan of exactly I like seeing that yeah. exactly and so i was thinking to myself in a big way just making this intention of like okay 
I, you know, want to get this job that pays better. So I'm going to do this ritual and then I'm going to like make a data sheet of like all of the things that are working and not working. That's like already putting you in some sort of flow, some sort of momentum towards getting what you want. I mean, like a huge part of they say being successful at life, like one of the first things that a life coach will tell you is like, where are you tracking your schedule of your day? What are you writing down that you're going to do today? And like, how are you quantifying what tasks needs to be done? Like, how are you staying organized? And like, all of those are kind of synonymous with magic in a way. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like um, there's definitely a lot of overlap between what she's talking about and the law of attraction, right? Right, right? Yes. Like you make your list of goals, mm-hmm. you figure out how you're going to get there. And maybe there's like four different ways you can reach one goal. Yeah. And maybe you put all those ways into an Excel spreadsheet and yeah. you document, did this way work? Right. No. Okay, moving on to the next one. Right. Yes, this way worked. Okay, so maybe that same method will work for another one of my goals. And now mm. I don't have to do trial and error. I've already found a method that works. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what she's saying. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting stuff to me. I definitely like the law of attraction. And I like even told her that, that you know, perhaps I've been doing some magic of my own by like doing the law of attraction. And she was telling me that it makes such a difference, though, to be specific about it and to like actually have a ritual and like have the specifics of it worked out because it puts you in a position like where you're making Excel sheets to make sure stuff is happening, where you're not just sort of hoping that if you like are grateful and in the right place at the right time and are positive, like good things are going to happen to you. Those things probably are going to happen to you anyways, but this just might help to make that all happen like a little bit clearer, a little bit faster. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I also think, you know, I just from my own perspective, the only thing I can think of that's relatable that I do is Excel spreadsheets <laughs> or like, you know, I I put everything in my calendar no matter what. If it's not in my calendar, I don't know that it's happening and I'll forget about it. Mm-hmm. And in that way, me doing those little quote unquote rituals is what makes those things happen. Yes. Right. Like if I don't have a schedule showing me what my next episode topic is right. for my next LGH episode, I will totally forget. Yeah. I'll be stressed the fuck out. Maybe I don't complete my topic on time. Maybe we have to push the record date. Right. Maybe I missed the record date because I didn't put it in my calendar. Yeah. So yeah, doing those little rituals does help you reach your goal faster. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So if if what she's saying it sounds like is those little rituals are magic mm-hmm. and that there are some even more specific rituals Uh, in the form of like incantations and drawings that you can do that are just as beneficial, if not more beneficial than writing things down on a to-do list. Yeah. Then like it's the same thing. It's helping you to get to your goal faster, right? Is that in my understanding? Yeah, I think so. I think because she just doesn't give fuck at the same time. Like she's an atheist witch, right? Like she doesn't give fuck. She's just sort of like, yeah, whatever anyone believes, like believe it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Can I ask, what does your fiance think about this? Like, has he, did he listen to anything that she said? Oh, no, he's too scared. Like, I can't even talk to him about this kind of stuff because he's just going to think like I'm haunted. Right. Okay. So right before I met my fiance, it was at the beginning of the pandemic. Things were not looking super bright for me and for Earth in general. And I like did a ritual New Year's with a couple friends 
where we like wrote out what it was we wanted to happen. And because I had absolutely nothing going on in my life at this time, just living as a transplant somewhere. Also, I wasn't working because I was a Pilates instructor and all of that had shut down in LA when you couldn't go to work. And we were like all washing our hands every five seconds. And like you couldn't even get masks because all the masks were supposed to be for the healthcare workers. Like we didn't know shit about COVID. Right. And it was all very stressful. Right. So my point is, is like I was literally doing nothing in my house. It was at that beginning of quarantine. So I had all the time in the world and I like, made this ritual of all the things that I wanted to happen and one of them was that I wanted to fall in love with someone that like I could always depend on and start a family and like fall in love right the second one is that I wanted a horse that could jump four foot which sounds totally not as <laughs> not as like serious as the first one but I fucking put that on there anyways right and then third one was that I wanted let's get haunted to progress in our career and for us to have luck and success Now, that year, I met someone, I fell in love, we had a baby together, I got a horse off of Craigslist who can jump four foot, and our podcast progressed, and we won a bunch of awards, right? So is that to say that the ritual worked, or is it because I finally sat down and committed to things that I wanted to happen, where in the rest of my life, I'm so non-committal that I just don't even want to like think about what it is that I want, because Mm -hmm. if I do that, then I risk not getting it right like if I make a goal that I don't meet then I failed but if I don't make any goals then I didn't fail right Right. yeah and then the rituals sort of helped me to make three goals because I had this confidence that there was some otherworldly magic that was going to make it real when in reality it might have just been me that made it real by deciding to make those things happen but like we're saying it doesn't matter it doesn't matter yes either way it happened yeah right And that's what's important. Either way, is the bread the body of Christ literally or is it just bread that is symbolic of that? It It doesn't doesn't matter matter. because you're both eating it. In church together. Yeah. Yeah. Your church is getting money and taking over the world like you wanted. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So in closing, if you draw a circle on the ground and you say, Raphael, then you might meet someone who can be your friend and help you. Right. And then... A spinning eye angel will come down from heaven and, you know, roll the dice, man. That's all I think she's saying. Yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe it's not what she's saying. But it doesn't matter. But it doesn't matter. Because it's working. It's working. I love it. I'm going to follow her on TikTok. Fantastic. This was a great topic. I learned a lot of new things that I had never heard before. Yes. Yes. Very eye-opening shit here, guys. Oh, the last thing that I wanted to say is, remember the Three Kings ritual? Yeah. So that's actually like a real ritual because like in the Lemageddon, they have the triangle with the mirror in the middle, which is where you summon the entity in, right? Yeah. But with the Three Kings ritual, you put the three mirrors around you and you're in the center of the triangle. So you're thereby asking a demon to come into your body. And when you look in the mirrors, it's supposed to be you that is the demon, right? I God, I did not understand that ritual. I'm going to be honest with you. James and I, when we were going over it the second time, because the first time I'd ever heard it, you told me about it in the sleep paralysis episode. Right. Then James came on the show and we did a paranormal games part one, if you guys want to go listen to it. And we went back over that game. And then James took that game and ma- is making a short film out mm. of it. He claims to understand it. I'm still, I still don't understand it. So <laughs> I'm going to have to reread it. But knowing that it comes from one of these books that our guest today was talking about is very 
interesting adds another layer yeah so you guys follow chawan on tiktok um i believe it's chawan Koo, and i have put her links all down in our descriptions she's also coming out with a book i would say the best place to find me is on tiktok and it's just chawan Koo. Mm -hmm. and um, i am having a a book come out sometime in the spring or summer Amazing! and it's a book about witchcraft and it's sort of um, a beginner's witchcraft book and it's illustrated so it's a mix of k-pop futurism witchcraft yeah because for me k-pop is the ultimate witch magic ritual thing going on right now yeah i have an entire theory about how the entire k-pop industry the k-drama industry of korea did magic and you know i kind of like reverse engineer it and see like how they did it to kind of bewitch the world but it's like that plus futurism you know um i do a lot of cryptocurrency sort of magic sort mm-hmm. of things like that but also magic on top and it's an illustrated book it's a coffee table book so it has something like 64 illustrations that are made just for the book and it's right. very much based upon east asian stuff so this isn't just like you know I don't know, like an aesthetic of just white people, <laughs> you know, right. this is like Asian people doing magic in the book in a beautiful, like kind of like beautifully feminine sort of style of illustration. So it sounds amazing. Cool. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, yeah, again, thank you so much for talking to me. You can follow her C H A W E O N K O O. She's super interesting. She talks about makeup. She's got a lot of other very, very hot takes, I would say, on there. I mean, the woman knows how to make content that gets people to listen, passes it around. Go on, go on there and give her, um, give her a look. You know what? Going viral is its own kind of magic. It's its own demon. It's its own demon. <laughs> right? Yeah. Chawan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciated yes. hearing your unique perspective and definitely gave us a lot to think about. And thank you, Natalia, for bringing this topic to my attention. Yeah. I've never heard a lot of these concepts before. So are you going to summon a demon now? No. You, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because something bad would happen to me. So we're just, we're not going to even go there. <laughs> right. Like you would be the conjuring? <laughs> yes. I would be... I would be Emily Rose right. in a barn, yeah. like rolling in the hay, like on fire. <laughs> like that's... Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. And okay. so I'm not even going to go there. You yeah. know what? And if you're trying to hex me, guess what? I'm above it. Can't do yeah. it. She hexes herself. No one else can do it but her. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That takes a special kind of, <laughs> kind of magic. Super special. BRB, gotta go make a really sick 1980s VHS tape of me singing about Raphael. (laughs) Bye. Bye.